The Old Gold Club. Powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. The one-stop shop for all your building and DIY products. Hello there. Uh, welcome along to the Old Gold Club podcast. I'm Mikey Burrows. Chris Wellamo alongside me as ever. Um, our guest this week is a legend to me anyway, the Don. Don Goodman, he's got a weird look on his face. Yeah, I, said I can't believe he's done that. Come on. <laughs> he knows he's a legend. legend. Overused um, word. I would <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, we'll, get, we'll get to Don in just a second. Um, just to say, kind of, we've been recording a, a lot of podcasts recently um, to kind of get us through the Christmas period and the New Year period and everything. So um, we haven't been able to kind of go through some of your reaction to lots of the podcasts that we've put out which we would normally do so when we get back into things uh proper routine in the new year we'll be able to respond to some of the messages that you've been sending to us but please do so keep them coming old gold club at wolves.co.uk at wolves across social media there was one that i wanted to pick up on and actually um don will have an interesting view on this as well so um a couple of episodes ago we had carl henry uh on the podcast and um it was slightly awkward, Don, if we're honest, because Looms had said something about Carl on TV. And they hadn't, <laughs> they hadn't spoken to each other since. And, right. And this was... Oh, well, let's, go, let's, Don, you know... Clarify. Me, me, me and Carl are very close. Yeah, yeah. I mean... They were very we, close. We, no. <laughs> we, we roomed together at Stoke. We came through. You know yes, what I mean? of course. Wolves, we roomed together yeah. here. Uh, and he went on uh, on loan at Bolton. I was doing the Channel Five. Yeah, uh, I've seen something, and I've called it. Say what you see, Chris. Why well, do you this... think all Leeds United fans hate my guts, <laughs> despite the fact that I was well, one of them? This is where Mikey's going to take <laughs> it. So we 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 were already recording the podcast when Carl walks in. So Carl literally sits down where you are, and we were like, okay, get it off your chest. And um, Charleston got in touch with me recently and said, Mikey, the first five minutes of the Carl Henry podcast are the most awkward I've heard <laughs> probably ever between pros. Brilliant. Well, let's, let's try not to usurp that then, shall we? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I think um, we're safe. Well, so I remember when I, when, I, when I retired and you're doing a little bit of media work, uh, it was talk sport at first, and you asked for feedback. And what came back was uh, I sat on the fence no, so this okay. is something, and I think Mikey will, will, will touch on it a little bit more. That when you when you're working in, in, in the way that you come across, you're very well respected. The game, what you achieved, is it a conscious thing you had because some people say that you're a little bit harder on the clubs that you've played at. So do yeah. you make sure that you don't? You're not favourable in any way. Well, I'm definitely not favourable, um, <laughs> which is why I'm not on social media, joking aside, because my friends take great delight in telling me the stick that I'm getting on there, so um, so I get to hear about it anyway. Um, no, you can't be favourable. The bottom line is you have to say what you see, and I, jo- I joked about the Leeds United fans, but there are an element of Leeds United fans um, on social media that really do think that I have, a, I have it in for them. You know, I was a Leeds United fan growing up. I stood on the terraces. Um, for all of those years, I was a ball boy. Um, they tried to sign me three times for a lot of money in the days when a manager of the club you were playing for would say, we've had a bid, but you're not going anywhere. You'd say, well, thanks for telling me. I'll do the best I can. And you, carry, and you crack on. You know, It's not like that anymore. No. You kind of force a move. Um, but I would have walked to, to, to Ellen Road and played free of charge. That's how much I loved Leeds United. So it's been painful, going back to your original point, for the last, well, I've been working for Sky Sports for 13 years now. 
on the championship and Leeds have predominantly been in the championship yeah. for each and every one of those 13 years um, and you've got to say what you see and there was a maybe a there have been little pockets of three months four months five months where they've done all right but in the main for the stature of that football club and everybody connected with Wolverhampton Wanderers can understand where I'm going with that. You have standards. You have a history, a long, upstanding tradition within football. It was painful to see how poor Leeds United became. The calibre of player that Leeds United were in the market for. Players that nobody had ever heard of. Players, you know, with respect from the lower echelons. And then they turned to a manager, didn't yeah. they? Not that long ago from non-league football. This is Leeds United, you know. Ultimately... My job is to judge them as a football club and what I see on a pitch on a game-by-game basis. And if they played poorly, and let's, to be frank, in most of the games that I covered, they did, quite per chance, I had to say that. What about Wolves, though? It's the same thing. I remember, I remember, uh, and we'll keep this brief because I don't want the Wolves fans to, you know, have to dwell on it. I remember when West Bromwich Albion came here and won five. And as a former West Bromwich Albion player with a bit of love in my heart for them, again, not what Wolves fans want to hear, but I'm, I'm here to be honest and yep. frank. Um, I was thrilled that West Bromwich Albion were doing so well, but it was heartbreaking, heartbreaking to watch how poor Wolves had become. Clearly, they were the worst team in the Premier League that season, um, but it wasn't just by a little bit. It was by a long way, yeah. unfortunately. And again, my job stood up there on the gantry was to tell people how it was. And that's the way it was. Because one of the interesting things from this, I guess, is that, you know, Looms is in this situation now where there are still people that he played with that are still playing the Hard. game. Um, for you, obviously, when you started out, you had that. Now, are you in a situation where there will be people that you were really close to in your career that you know very well who've become managers? Yes, and yeah, absolutely. And they absolutely won't like you yeah. saying bad things about their team. When, you, when you're in football for a, a long period of time, and, and Looms and myself have been in most all of our lives, it's not just former teammates. It's players that you played against. Yeah. It's, it's coaches that you really like. You like their ideas. You like their philosophy. It's even referees. I have a brilliant relationship with most referees. But when they make an absolute howler, just because I like him, I can't say, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe he didn't see it or this or that or the other because you can't you can't defend the indefensible, can you, at times? And it's the same with players, you know. At the end of the day, our jobs as pundits now is to give our honest opinion for what it's worth. And we're not always right. Let me make that clear. Sometimes we get things wrong because we're human beings. Um, but it is hard. It, uh, and, and again, going back to your, your previous... Pre- I guess I am slightly harder on the clubs that I love, all of them, and there are a few of them, but I'm slightly harder on those. You can't ever be seen to be being biased, really. It yeah. just, it's not becoming, you know. And so when you, when you have a friend that's playing, that, you know, um, it's great when they're doing well, but when you have to be critical... As long as it's constructive criticism and it's done in the right manner, and that's the key for me to punditry, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do literally everything, to say everything. If you choose the right way, you're okay. You like that as a player as well? 
the right way or wrong way to say it because life, I, I Chris, totally agree with yeah, that. Yeah, life, life. It's my life mantra taught from my parents from when I was very young. There's yeah. a right way and a wrong way to do everything, whether it's talking, whether it's actions. Yeah. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And um, as long as you aspire to do it the right way, you know, then I think you can look in the mirror. Ultimately, it's about looking in the mirror. I mean, that's the debate about the Manchester United players in the, you know, this huge story that Mourinho's gone and yeah. the players didn't care and this, that. You know, personal pride. Look, you've got to look in the mirror. Yeah. You've got to be able to sort of... I, I, and, and again, with the Wolves, um, reflecting on my time at Wolves, me and Mark McGee, there was a period where we really couldn't stand each other. Couldn't stand each other. Ignored each other. Nobody, not one supporter in that stand would ever have known. That's what it should would be. Would ever have yeah. known. Because I wasn't playing for Mark McGee. I was playing for my teammates, I was playing for the fans, and I was playing for myself and my personal pride. That's the bottom line. Now, just for the record, Mark McGee and I get on really well now. <laughs> just to be clear. Just to be clear. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in okay. the show, don't you worry. Um, on the kind of being a commentator, though, because you are synonymous for, for people of kind of my generation, I guess. You know, I saw you play, but also you are the voice of Sky Sports Football League. You were just telling us before we started recording that kind of, you know, that you could have been a coach. There's lots of people you know that have gone into coaching and management. So why didn't you? Why did you go down this route? Because those lots of people that I know aged 10 years overnight to be... (laughs) (laughs) Um, There were lots of things. I did start doing the UA for B. Um, did a badge, coaching badge. Uh, I did a little bit digging with lads that were already in the game about what it was like. And then one of the clinches was I really, I really t- sat one night and thought, right, well, we're realistic. Then you've got to be realistic in life, not football, in life. Be realistic. Where realistically would I have hoped to start my managerial career? And bearing in mind, this is 15 years ago now. Um, and it would have been, with respect to myself, it would have been probably a League Two. If I was very lucky, maybe a League One. Now, I know... That in League One and League Two, most of the time you're either managing with one arm tied behind your back or actually sometimes both arms tied behind your back. So to get you to sign on the dotted line, they'll make you promises and then it'll come to getting this player and they go, actually, we can't quite. You know. And these are stories that I'm uh, you know, going over from, from yeah. people that I know that are still in the game, that have been in the game, that have come over the get, out of the game, but ultimately the stress involved. And and my final test was Ray Graydon, a man I admire greatly, who took me to Walsall in the in the twilight of my career. And we had great success there at Walsall, so it was even more endearing. And he came and uh, to Exeter City, and I was injured. And, and uh, ironically, that was my last ever club. And we hugged and we embraced and asked how each other was doing. And it was at that time where you're starting to think about going into management coaching or what are you going to do after football? And I asked him, I said, Ray... Ask, answer me this. The last thing at night when you're closing your eyes to go to sleep, are you still thinking about football? And he, and he had a pensive look on his, on his face and he said, yeah, yeah, I am. And I said, and the first thing in the morning when you open your eyes is the first thing you're thinking about still football. And again, pensive, thoughtful. And he said, yeah. And, I, and at that moment, I said, that's not for me. I don't want that. I don't want to be thinking 24-7 
about football. Not unless I'm going to get paid a crazy amount of money and be, <laughs> you know. Um, so there, there was there was a, a multitude of factors basically that 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 put me off, that put me off doing it. See, I think I'm, I'm listening to you now, and <clears throat> great knowledge, fantastic uh, presence. You know, I think you you would have had so much to give. You know, you've said there straight away it's a a, a league two or a league one with the contacts that you had in the game, what you've done with your career. Why? Mm. Why? 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 Why start there? I, I understand you got to put your ten thousand hours in, but you've said yourself mm. to re- respect to yourself, league one and two. Whereas you, how you come across, mm. you have a presence. You can walk yeah. into a dressing room and command it. You know your football. As well, we first know. of all, Chris, I think you you know it would have been you go through interview processes, and obviously it's been widely acknowledged about the lack of. Yes, black and ethnic yeah. managers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, I'm going back 15 years, you know, because you have to bear in mind that in that in- intermittent time since there, I got the opportunity to, to 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 work for Sky Sports via other, you know, media outlets. Um, but ultimately, that is the pinnacle for me of, of broadcasting Sky Sports. That's where it's at. If you want to be a sports broadcaster in the television side of broadcasting, for me, I might be a bit biased, but I don't think so. They have pioneered sports broadcasting and taking it to several more levels and that's the place that I aspire to be when I set out on my journey in in the media side starting off on radio WM local radio all those years ago Um, so then those opportunities came up um, and then I was awarded a contract by Sky Sports and then all of a sudden you're not really thinking about being a manager or a coach you know so very quickly and the, and the other side of that is that I had set up another biz, a business as well, um, which which went very successfully in the health and fitness industry. So I had all this going on, and it really was only a very short period of time where, before you knew it, I wasn't really thinking about coaching or managing at all. In fact, I was absolutely certain that wasn't for you. it wasn't for me, really. And, and you're right, Chris. I, with my... I hope it doesn't sound very arrogant or too arrogant, but I actually do believe that I could have done quite well because I'm a people person. Yeah. And for me, that is the number one ingredient. Totally. Um, how, how do you keep people on side and get the best out of people? Well, I had to do that in, in the, the other business, in the health and fitness business. And I dealt with lots and lots of different people from different backgrounds, from different spheres. And I did it very, very successfully. And I'm a people person, again, because of how I've been brought up. And because of the football dressing room makes you a sociable person. Yeah. Back in the days when I played, you had to be sociable because you had to feel the banter, feel the stick that you'd get from the lads and come back with something of your own. <laughs> yeah. um, and most footballers of that generation um, you know, can hold their own in, in social circles, etc., etc. So I'd like to think I've got a bit of knowledge about football. In fact... <laughs> I don't think my broadcasting career would have lasted so long if I hadn't. So, you know, you put those factors together and I'd like to think that I would have done okay, but we'll never know. It's one of those things. Let like me ask this. We'll, we'll delve into the, the Wolves part in, 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 the, in the podcast, but as in Don Goodman 13 years ago coming into this second career, what's different from him then to you now? In terms of? As a, as as the, the job in hand, the, the professional the professionalism of it. What's what's changed? What have you learned with the the commentating? What, what, well, what I think what has become evident to me is how football has changed. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that's you know, 
it's changed and it was changing. And, uh, you know, when I started, we were, we, were, we were all aware of Pep Guardiola and the way that he played football. And it was basically, um, yeah, but that would never work in the Premier League, would it? course it wouldn't and I would probably was one of those that thought that like, you couldn't because of the intensity of the Premier League and because of the the physicality of the Premier League you wouldn't be at Barcelona wouldn't be able to come in the Premier League and, and 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 beat everybody every week certainly not like that he's proved me wrong and 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 I am a huge fan of every coach that has moved with the times. Now, I'm not saying that he reinvented the wheel because, of course, there were coaches already. You know, Sir Alex Ferguson, front foot, fast, attacking, passing, moving yeah. football. You know, it's not rocket science. It's just change. Systems have changed. You know, when we played, because 4 4 yeah. you knew what you were up against. Now there are different, you know, different streams. Players are more versatile. Yeah. Um, I bet we never thought as strikers we'd be sort of thinking some of the most important players on the pitch in modern football for me are fullbacks. And if I did go into coaching, that would be one of the first areas that I would be looking at. And again, I never thought I'd hear myself say this. It would be more important to me that a fullback was good at attacking <laughs> than at defending. Yeah. And this is the way that football has changed. And now there's a, there's a, a role for a, in inverted commas, holding midfielder or even two holding midfielders when we played the one midfield went one midfielder sat then the other one went then the other one sat so they were actually holding in essence but now I think the fullbacks and it's about creating that width on a football pitch yeah. and Wolves Wolves have done it unbelievable yeah. under Nuno I mean I I, I look at the way that the, the, the width that the, the, the wingbacks keep they're always on they're always an out ball. And the Wolves fans have been educated to that over the last 18 months, watching this team yeah. play brilliant, brilliant, fast, front foot, attacking football. Um, so for me, it's been nice, and I say this with the greatest of respect, to watch more and more teams go down that road rather than the old traditional percentage football, hit the channels, move the move the, up the pitch, then get it down, then play, get it wide, get crosses in. You know, it's lovely to see teams construct um, and go through the thirds uh, and do it quick. I'm not talking about, you know, I, I commentated on Yapstam's Reading and I say Yapstam was one of the best centre-halves I've ever seen. But I didn't enjoy watching his Reading team because they passed it along the back four yeah. Yeah. without a purpose for me. Yeah. Without a purpose. And despite the fact that they got to the championship playoff final, I think it was a one-off and I think it was more by luck than judgment. And I don't want to take anything away from Yap Stam, but what's happened since would bear out my thoughts, really. Reading have then, they're in a relegation fight every single year. So, um, so football has changed, Chris, in answer to your question. It's been a privilege to watch it change. I now look at the top of the um, championship, which is predominantly where I commentate, and I see of the top Eight, there's probably seven of them that want to get it down and pass it and move it quickly through the thirds. The, the exception is Middlesbrough, but yep. Tony Pulis does what Tony Pulis does and yep. he does it very, very well. Final question for this part of the podcast then, following on from that, do you think that the way you played the game would suit the modern day? Well, I think we... Uh, it's like when people say, right, who was best? Who's the best player? Pele, Maradona, now Messi, Ronaldo... For me, great players, and I'm not saying I was a great player, but well, great players, 
they they would transcend generations because you would you would you would have modern techniques you would have modern coaching you would have modern nutrition you would have modern physio so I think all of those players would have would have adapted and would have would have been great in any era. You know, you put Pele in this era now, a young Pele, he would have been a superstar, just like Maradona, just like Messi. I believe that. I believe that I could have uh, would have been able to play in the modern game as we as we say it. I was quite lucky, really, because of my physicality, because I was very quick in, back in the day. Now I'd just be sort of normal, wouldn't I? Really normal speed, really. But I, I had I had the speed to beat um, most defenders. I had the spring to out jump most centre halves. So you know, I'm sure they were there. They are attributes that uh, that would have worked okay. No, brilliant. Well, Mikey asks. He says, "So in in today in the market, how much are you?" Worth? <laughs> no. Don't be one. Nah, no, I okay. don't. Who knows? Because nah. I've said I've said Looms would be worth for me between in the in the season when Wolves got promoted, two thousand and nine, mm. when he was kind of roughly at his peak. Mm. I said he would be worth between ten and fifteen million in today's money. I think you're selling him short. Oh, I, I thought it was quite generous. <laughs> oh, I think you're selling. I think you're selling him short. It's a goal scorer. Yeah, it's I put him. Scorer. I put him around the kind of Brit Sombolonga, Dwight Gale type range of that fifteen million. And that is only going to get more and more and more, you know, because those two lads, um, you're talking about those, you have to go back two, three years when those figures were bandied. Yeah. The market forces have, have moved Well, on. all you're doing, Don, is talking yourself up now. No, I'm talking. He's staying at 15. No, no. At, at the minute, you're up to 20. <laughs> 25? Who knows? Who knows? It's a very difficult one, isn't it, to to. to put figures on on things like that. I mean, uh, Wolves paid 1.4 million for me in 1994. Yeah. I have no idea what that equates to now. But it was a lot of money then. I okay, he's not going to give himself a price. I I would say that Don would be worth minimum in today's money of 18 million pounds. I'm saying even more. That's the, that's the price I'm, I'm putting on. Th- between thirty and forty million for me. That's yeah, that's comfortable. Well, I, I love him, but I'm not going to go to yeah, thirty or forty million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm with you, Mikey. I'm with you. I'm but with a, you. a solid. Kind well, of, let's talk about bully then. Oh, well, okay. I mean, yeah. the, the kind of goals that he scored would be what would, would be he be ridiculous. worth? I I think bully would be worth probably twenty five, just because he hasn't what, got the what, Premier League experience. What, what, this is what I'm seeing. This is you've got. I don't. You're confusing me now. T- today's Why? market, a goal scorer. Yeah, yeah, but bullies. Do you, know, a- do you know the lovely thing about this is? It's all subjective. Of course, it is. No, and we could go and, on all day, and, and, and that's why we all love football. But do you know the the reason I say it, the reason because you could say thirty to forty million, but then you look at players who've kind of gone through, and whilst Bully had an amazing amount of goals, and so did Don, and so did you at that kind of level, it's the the premium that goes on for Premier League experience. So you have to take some of. But that there are off. so many different factors. You don't have Premier League premiums from foreign players that come in for the it's first true. time. Because they've never played in the Premier Sporting. League either. Sporting. So, you know, there are different factors. And, you know, all we know that it would have been a lot of well, money, it, it, for Well, because we had this big debate on... Because um, Kenny Hibbert, when he was in, right back at the start of our run of podcasts. And we said, because of Kenny, obviously, he played European football mm, for Wolves. And absolutely. pretty much all at the top level. We were saying, you know, 50 million minimum for a midfielder of his quality in this day and age. He agreed as well, mm. didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't quite as well, the thing is, just to, wrap, just to wrap this one up, for me, Jamie Vardy is a modern-day Steve Ball. 
Yeah. In the way that he plays football. You know, all action. Defenders don't have a moment's peace. And he bangs the ball in the back of the net on a very, very regular basis. Now, he played for England. And Bully played for England. Let's not forget that. So, whatever Jamie Vardy is worth... I think that's the bracket that Steve Ball would have fallen into. Played for England, don't forget. You're talking no. about Premier League. Played for England, scored goals. It's true. Was it four goals in 13 caps? That's not bad, is it, for a League One striker at the yeah. time? So, you know. The thing is, as well, Don, you know full well that when Bully eventually comes on this programme and we ask him the same question, he's going to give an outrageous type figure anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah, he Yeah, he can... He can um, he'll want it to be... Um, to be bought in uh, in white wine and ice when he really so <laughs> that's, uh, that's another story that's another it's the story. weirdest thing I, I've been I've been on nights with Bully it is the weirdest thing <laughs> ice in wine bizarre um, anyway we will have lots more to talk about your career at Wolves and lots of other things as well as lots of people who've been messaging us messaging us specifically about the FA Cup run of 1998 and it might slightly explain why Leeds fans might, might not like you as well but we'll get to that in our Facebook show which is coming next Wolverhampton Builder Supplies is your one stop shop for all building and DIY products and now they're giving listeners of the Old Gold Club an extra 10% off of the already low prices it doesn't matter if you're a professional builder or just looking to put up a shelf at home just tell them in store that you listen to the Old Gold Club and you'll get an even better price in store. So check them out online at wolverhamptonbuildingsupplies.co.uk Then head to their yard at 372 Bilston Road, Wolverhampton or give them a call on 01902 500 140. Welcome along to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows. Alongside me, as ever, is Chris Wellamone. Our guest this week spent four years at Molyneux, making more than 150 appearances and scoring 39 goals. Welcome to the club, Donald Ralph Goodman, <laughs> a.k.a. The Don. My dad's fault. West Indian tradition. Turn the firstborns, uh, turn his name round. So my dad was called Ralph Donald. Nice. So I was always going to be a Donald Ralph. Let's <laughs> swiftly on. <laughs> my sister's called Michelle Ralph as well. No, she's not. No, she's not. <laughs> um, it's great to have you here. I, uh, normally when we say to people when they come on this program, it's kind of, oh, you know, good to be back and to see the old place. But you're here quite a lot. Reasonable amount, yeah. In fact, we were here for a recent game against Chelsea that yep. we actually marked the anniversary on that date of you signing yes. for the club because I found the photo to show you of, of a very young-looking you alongside Graham Taylor and John DeWolf. John DeWolf, yeah, yeah. We signed on the same day, John DeWolf and I. Um, became great pals, lived in the Mountain Hotel for about <laughs> three or four months <laughs> over Christmas. It was, it was, it was good fun. <laughs> it's a good time to be joining good the time. club at the time. Well, it was... Um, if I if I go back to my days at West Bromwich Albion, um, they'd got relegated to League One ultimately. And as a player, Chris will tell you, you just aspire to play at the highest level that you possibly can. And certainly, I was banging in a lot of goals in a very average team at the time. And um, and then I went to Sunderland for just under a million quid again, nineteen ninety, which is a lot of money. Thinking that they would tick the boxes for me and get me to the Premier League. And again, for three years there, I think I, I think I was top scorer every season, but we weren't anywhere really near. Um, although I had a you know fantastic fantastic time up there, 
Um, and then Graham Taylor came in, and you know I'm not being funny, but we had Tony Daly on the right wing, Steve Froggett on the left wing, Steve Ball, David Kelly was sitting, I think, third or fourth in the league. This was it. This was where it was at for me. So, so on that, it's it's a no brainer for you then. No brainer. Yeah. Right. So what about the the fact you just said David Kelly, Steve Bill? You know, you know the quality of them. Obviously, mm-hmm. the you, you're on fire. You you yeah. finished top goal scorer the last three seasons. I think you competition. You back yourself, don't you? You back you yourself. To. You have to back yourself. Um, Graham uh, pioneered actually that um, that diagonal ball to a wide player. So for the first six months of my Wolves career, I actually played on the right wing. Uh, Tony Daly got injured, yeah. unfortunately. Um, so he put me on the right wing and I was quite a weapon really with that diagonal ball and knocking knocking balls down for Bully and Ned. They scored a few goals off little knockdowns and things like that. And So, um, you know, he did it first at Aston Villa, if you remember, with big sticks, big yeah. Ian Ormanroyd, you know. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a tool that we that we employed and, and it was quite successful. And I didn't mind that. Um, Honestly, you didn't mean I didn't not being the main man scoring no, the goals. Well, I, no. At the end of the day, it's about being part of a team. It's not about you know. And if you if you believe in what you're doing, and if you believe that the manager and the team will get you to where you want to be, you, you, you do it. There are numerous players that play out of their their, their preferred position. Even you know, even now in modern football, you get asked to to play in different roles, and that's. I was perfectly okay with that. Um, the following season, obviously, I, I then was put down the middle, and I think by the end of October, I'd scored thirteen. I think I, I finished with twenty, something like that. But unfortunately, we all know what happened in the intermittent period. It didn't go well. We'd lost the playoffs to Bolton, um, which was heartbreaking. I'd say, in purely footballing terms, it was it was po- probably I'll say probably because only one other thing that would rival it, but it was probably the most the saddest I'd, I'd ever been on a football pitch sat in the middle of Burnham Park with a, a little tear streaming down my cheek because uh, Bolton had mugged us out of a, a playoff final spot. Cool. We had obviously Ned, David Kelly in on, his head. doing the programme. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's very philosophical <laughs> about that now because we put it to him about VAR if it was there in the place at the time and stuff. And, and he, he was kind of very didn't want it did he he was kind of like well it happened you know that was football mm. and and I moved on and he, he kind of accepted that he probably shouldn't have shook John McGinley's hand straight afterwards in front mm. of the referee that might have altered it and stuff but for you guys that group of players it was surely the the moment when it was your time football's funny like that isn't it? that's what I came for and um felt like it should have been so really um Let's not beat about the bush here. With the quality at our disposal, that group of players not getting to the Premier League, despite the fact that we're in the playoffs, I think we're in the playoffs twice in my four seasons here, um, underachieved. We underachieved because we had the ability to be at the very, very top of of that league. Um, And we didn't do it. There were lots of different factors involved. Um, we were pleasing on the eye. We scored a lot of goals, but we we conceded too many for a team to be sort of certainly challenging for automatic promotion. And when I when I say that, I don't just blame the uh, I don't just blame the defenders. I think you I think you I, I'm a believer that you attack as a team and you defend as a team. So yeah. you know you all the book stops with you all. Because uh, did you do you view it then on um, when you didn't get that? promotion playoff final that you arguably deserved in that Bolton game 
did that have that knock-on impact because you hadn't achieved what you felt was yours what then happened in the following years was a direct consequence well certainly let's be clear there are no divine rights so hadn't achieved what we felt was ours you know you've got to earn it ultimately so you you know you don't you know you don't feel that it's yours until you've earned it you know and we didn't earn it we clearly just fell short by the skin of our teeth and when we only beat them 2-1 out here and it, it literally and we hit the woodwork five times Shilton came out of retirement at the age of 75 and played a stormer didn't he <laughs> so uh, you know there were there were all kinds of reasons but ultimately history shows you that we we, we, we just failed and that, and, that, and that I have learned and I have watched teams the season after losing the playoffs whether it be semi-final or whether it be final have have hangovers and really struggle and that's what happened to us um and by you know sort of october football's a a sport of fine margins you know i remember i hit the crossbar down at the bottom end in with a literally the last kick of the game where it was a diving header actually and it bounced into the ground up and crashed off the bar and that was graham taylor's last game in charge so it's that if that goes in Small margins. You know, he may still have stayed as the as the manager. And in the history of Wolves, one of the most catastrophic, greatest mistakes that this football club ever made was sacking Graham Taylor. And I'll put that on record right here, right now. And he went and proved it because when he left here, he went to Watford, who were in League One. He got them promoted into the Championship. And then the very next season, he got them promoted into the Premier League. And I am convinced if he'd have stayed the manager at Wolverhampton Wanderers, that he would have got Wolves into the Premier League a lot sooner than they managed to do it. I'll ask you, were you, were you given a fair crack? Because, like you say, 20, 20 goals and 52 appearances, playing up the middle. Ewan Roberts comes in. There's then Mixie Patalainen, Dougie Friedman, Robbie Keane. Yeah, lots Over of, the years, these, mm. these players coming through, were you given a fair crack? Because, yeah. like you say, you got, you got played up the middle, you scored the goals. Then you're playing outright, you're making assists for others. Your job was the, the goal-getter. Hardest thing to do in football, score mm. goals done. Yeah, I again it's one of those, isn't it? I I was comfortable playing in a wide role. Um sometimes you can be too flexible, I suppose, uh for your own good. Uh, there are players that, that that I've played with that can literally play anywhere on a football pitch, you know. Um and every now and again it, it it's to their disadvantage that, that 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 they can because they're seen as that utility player rather yep. than as a brilliant midfielder or a brilliant right back or a brilliant whatever it may be. I don't think that ever really applied to me if I'm honest Chris, you know. I still managed to get my share of goals from the wider areas um over the course of time. I still enjoyed playing with all those characters that you yep. that, that 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 you've named and um you know, we had another playoff campaign um, where we we failed against Crystal Palace this time, a couple of years later. Um, unfortunately, I was injured for the the away leg. Um, managed to get just not 100% fit, but fit enough to play here. And we only managed to 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 beat them two one when we needed to beat them three one. So again, fine lines. Um, yeah. You know, it is that thing though that I say I was talking to Looms about this beforehand. That every time you know 95, 96 when. Taylor goes and Mark McGee comes in. You are top scorer. You David Kelly had left because you'd taken that spot 
up top. It seemed to be your time. And then every single time it seemed to be, whether it was Mixu Patalainen, whether it was Dougie Friedman, whether it was um, you and Roberts coming in, it's almost yeah. like from a, an outside point of view, it's like, well, why not just leave you in? Do you know what I mean? Why, we, why well, do we keep bringing these players in all the time? Yeah, managers are paid to make decisions, aren't they? And back in those days particularly, there was also an element of if you were out of the team through suspension or through injury and the person that went in and took your place played well, they got the shirt, you know, yeah. haven't they? So, you know, hard for them to to be dropped. Although I do remember Brett Angel, um, when I was at Walsall, scored... He must be the only player to score a hat-trick. So we'd secured our playoff spot at Walsall. And as a 35-year-old, Ray Graydon rested me for the last game of the season away at Northampton. Brett Angel came in, scored a hat-trick and, and was subsequently dropped. So... <laughs> yeah, just so... So it is, it is one of those things. I mean, ultimately, we, we, we prevailed, so that was the right <laughs> right decision. Do you think part of bringing all those players in, though, was because you mentioned to us before that you and Mark McGee didn't have the greatest of relationships, did mm-hmm. you? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a, uh, you know, it wasn't a great relationship at times. Um, it was, again, in a, in a... It was a strong dressing room we had. We had lots of strong characters within that dressing room and sometimes you know you questioned and it's only because you were desperate for the for the the club to get the right results to win games of football win games of football and win enough games of football and it'll take you to where you want to be and we were sort of there were periods when I was here where that just wasn't happening Um, and so as a senior pro or somebody that had a bit of a voice you would you, you would chuck you two penithin, wouldn't you? You know, and it, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure at times how 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 well that was that that went down. But having said all of that, whenever Mark McGee put me in a football team, I said it before. Um, you know, I would I would give 100 percent, and there wouldn't be a fan sat in any stadium in this country that would see me playing for Mark McGee and have any idea that he and I didn't get on because it simply didn't work that way. Uh, in those days, I'm not. Might be a tiny bit different now for for a variety of different reasons, but uh, you know. Um, so, despite the fact that we didn't particular, we weren't best friends. Um, you know, it didn't stop us from having a working relationship. Yeah, that, that's that's what I was going to touch on there. Mm. Is it, um, did that mean you have to do that a little bit extra? I know you worked very hard anyway, but that must have been very difficult. The manager, he might favour another striker because of that relationship. Because, like you say, you're a you're a you're a people person. Man management is so important. Mm. If it's sometimes you aren't even talking, you can still go out and do your job professionally. But you're thinking then, he doesn't really want me to succeed because he wants this player. The competition that he was bringing in is that not difficult? Um, I can't ever recall having that train of thought. Right. Um, there were times, obviously, that I was left out. Where, in my opinion, I I, I shouldn't have been left out. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think in the, if you go back through the annals of time, you'll find that I wasn't left out for very long, rightly or wrongly. I, you know, I was never I was never left out for a, a real extended period of time. The only extended periods of times I had out of the first eleven, thankfully, was was if injury had had been a problem. So um, you know, for all of that, I think because of that, I didn't really harbour those thoughts, Chris. If I'm honest with yeah. you, yeah, because you know Mark McGee, don't you? You've played with yeah. Yeah, but like you say, I think 
I think uh, as Don was saying earlier, I think you have to evolve with the game. The the, the, the players change, managers change. It's it's a must, you know. I think for me, I know that when I when I came when I came to Wolves, Sylvan Ebanks Blake had more. He could have more poor games and stay in. Yeah, and the other three would rotate me. Uh, Sam Vokes, Andy Keogh. Mm. And I remember I remember one of the games, I was speaking to Mick McCarthy just a couple of weeks ago, and I was running. It was after my Scotland miss. I'm, I was playing away at Watford, and I'm, I'm doing all solved running. And Mick's hammering me, saying, tell that lazy, blah, 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 yeah. whatever. He's, and I'm, I'm saying, it's all right. If we get if he gets a goal, I've done my job. And, he, and it nearly killed me. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, getting rested. Yeah. I'm, I'm training on Thursday, because the manager's letting me. I'm running myself into the ground, but I just felt that I had two, I'm sitting top goal scorer. I'm sitting, I think I've scored, well, I know, I'd scored 15 goals in 12. I had two games, Birmingham here at home, it was a, a draw, Sylvan got the goal. I got marked out the game. I was on fire, done. We were QPR away, I was poor. Mm-hmm. Gaffer drops me. I remember he came in, Loons, in the office. And I went in and I had the chat with him. He says, Andy Keogh got put in. I'm sitting, I'm your top goal scorer, Gaffer. He says, he trains and he, he, Keogh was brilliant every day. When else can I put him in? Mm. But Selvan had that little bit more, yeah, and that, you know, that he could go three. Basically, four, five what he's games. saying, Don, is that you did all the running for Steve Ball. <laughs> <laughs> he did all the running for Selvan, <clears throat> and you did all the running for Steve. Well, Ball. no, I, I would have to correct you there. There, really, we, we, we. I remember we played um, in the FA Cup at White Hart Lane. Um, I think it was the fourth round. It was the back end of January, so I think it was the fourth round, and we were being marked by I think it was Gary Mabbott and Sol Campbell. Bully and I, and we just did what, what Bully and I did. We could be having the worst game. Touch might be off, might be, you know, uh, ball bouncing off or, or or whatever. We could, but those defenders would know they'd been in a game. Yeah, you know, and that, and that's that's the difference. So, and Gary Mabbott in an interview, we drew one one. By the way, that day I did manage to nick the goal, just for the record. <laughs> um, what. What was really pleasing was that Gary Mabbott, who had played week in, week out in the Premier League that season, you know, so they were halfway through the Premier League season, they'd literally played everybody that they could play, said that was the hardest game that they'd had as a, as a central defensive partner partnership against me and Steve Ball, two championships and a forward. So, you know, that was a, bit, that was a big compliment. And um, I can only imagine, actually, that we were a bit of a nightmare to play against, to be fair, because neither of us really stopped. Um, we will come back to some FA Cup memories in just a second. Just to kind of wrap it up with the <clears throat> the chat, I guess, about Mark McGee and, and kind of what happened through that period, because it was it became a tumultuous time at the football club. And there was a brilliant quote that I picked out when we were doing the research for you coming in, and it was kind of what happened after obviously you finished third and lost to Palace in the playoff semi-finals, and Sir Jack wasn't very happy. Uh, with I think I know what's outcome. coming here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, by Barnes, being pipped by Barnes the, to the automatic promotion. And he said, they see me as the golden tit on which the pair of them can suck whenever they want more money for yet another transfer. <laughs> as he's talking about Mark McGee and Jonathan, his son, who was chairman at the time. It's blackmail. The manager will blackmail my son, Jonathan, the chairman. He will blackmail me when the phone when he phones me abroad. It's always the same. The manager says to the chairman that he must have a player to strengthen the side. When we phone another club and say we're interested in one of their players, the price goes up three times because it's Wolves. They laugh like a drain. We buy a player far in excess of what he's worth. I'm glad Graham Taylor bought me then. <laughs> But it, did I that think, sum up at the time? Well, look, 
The club spent a lot of money. They did. Years. And when a <laughs> when a reporter, if you if you catch somebody at the right time, you can get reactions like that. You know, and and where managers and players are concerned, it might be straight after a game. Um, but clearly, we just missed out on promotion. Uh, clearly, the investment that Sir Jack had made, he was entitled to feel frustrated. And only he knows what conversations he had with Jonathan and and with Mark McGee. So um, <clears throat> you know you can you can hear the frustration that the, that is born in 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 that statement there. Um, it was one of those days. You know, look, Wolves were uh, a club that had been in the old fourth division, in the third division, into the championship, and were a little bit stuck in the championship. You know, and then Sir Jack arrived, and he built this magnificent stadium, and 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 started setting things up to give Wolves the best possible opportunity to get promoted back into the Premier League, which is where this great football club belongs. And when it didn't 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 quite happen, it is it is bound to be frustrating. And because Graham Taylor, former England manager, had been the manager, we had more national press down here than there were at some Premier League games, simply because it was Graham Taylor. Simply and I say this with a heavy heart because they wanted Graham Taylor to fail so that they could give Graham Taylor... He was, a, he was a target for the press. Let's not beat about the bush or kid ourselves here. Obviously, later on in life, he, he, he got the respect that he, absolute, he actually should have had all the way through his career. But straight out of England, into Wolves, media focus, Sir Jack's money, of course you're going to have to pay a premium for players. Because it's business, and, and the other chairman and the other owners saw Wolves coming, didn't they? Um, and the particular season that you're talking about, I think, was it January? We brought in about six or seven players. You know, uh, Robbie Slater, I remember Steve Claridge, and, and, and players like that. A couple of foreign lads that I didn't, you know, that I hadn't heard of, and so on and so forth. And, and actually, it's hard enough bringing in new players and integrating them anyway to to make a success. But to do it halfway through a season is probably even even more hard because you've got less time on the training ground as you have in pre-season where you can get them all together and try and create a structure that's going to take you forward in the season. So going back to the statement, we all heard it. I think the rest of the world probably were profoundly amused by it. But um, but it was a, it was Sir Jack just almost saying enough, you know. And I, and I don't believe it was it was too long before he before he called time on on the whole thing. Yeah. You said about Claridge coming in there. <clears throat> what's what's your thoughts on the the fans' views uh, of the the team selection for the semi final? Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're stepping ahead here, so we we've got to talk about the <laughs> FA Cup. This is what Looms is referencing because he knows because I've been badgering him about this this morning. <laughs> so the FA Cup run of nineteen ninety eight is mm. synonymous, I guess, with kind of the big high of Mark McGee's time and and yourself being there. And you've already had the high of the Leeds game, which we'll talk about and we might come to on the podcast afterwards. But what Looms is referencing is lots of people who've messaged us in saying you got to the FA Cup semi-final and Mark McGee doesn't pick Steve Bull and Robbie Keane. Were you aware of how much fans are annoyed about that? Not necessarily you, by the no, way. No, I, th- I think I think I think that um, it would only become evident once we didn't get the result that you wanted, you know. And then it's like any game, but this is one of the biggest games, wasn't it? At the time, that was Sir Jack's dream, wasn't it? To to 
to get to the FA Cup final, to get to Wembley, playing an FA Cup. Um, so it became more of a, of a talking point after the game, really. I mean, that Arsenal team was sensational. Let's not beat about the bush here. We had a a 10-minute period after half-time where we caused them a few problems. Um, but other than that, the other 80 minutes, they were in total control, despite the fact they only beat us 1-0. Um, my thing, from a purely selfish personal point of view, was why on earth he brought me off when I was well, the one... Just, yeah. You know, I think Ron Atkinson was commentating at the time and he, he, he was absolutely staggered. I was the one... Getting, you know, causing them the most. That's another one with the problems. fans used. They were, but, they were very yeah, surprised by yeah. that. Kevin Turner said Mark McGee dropped an almighty clanger taking off Don Goodman mm. and replacing him with Steve Ball instead of taking somebody else off and going with the two of them up mm. top. I would agree with that. You know, I, I, it, I, I was dumbfounded really. But then I suppose going back to the very start of some of your questioning about subconsciously, was that a decision? that was made because he and I didn't particularly get on at that point. We get on great now for the record. Let's again, just yep. to reiterate, but at that time we had a, a bit of a fractious relationship. So was that, was there an element of that? Um, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to swallow really. Um, the truth told, um, and again, as I spoke earlier about being real, being realistic, it probably wouldn't have mattered what team was put out that day. Arsenal were just that good, you know. And I say that with a, again, with a hint of regret, but maybe we could have given them perhaps a bit more of a game. But you always felt that they had more gears to go through, if truth be told. Well, these are just some of the messages that came in. Um, Jackie Oatley, that you'll know, ah, listens to the podcast. Indeed. Hi, Jackie. Um, said, overriding memory was Bull and Keane on the bench as they were totally outplayed, even though only 1-0. Massive anticlimax. But Goodman winner versus his boyhood club at Ellen Road. Better memory, she says, until my Fiat Uno broke down afterwards. Uh, Joe Bly said, leads away in the quarterfinal. Thought we'd blown it when they got the penalty. Then the sheer delight when it was saved. Credit to Hans Sagers. Absolutely. Carl Whitehouse taking my dad to his first away game against Leeds where he enjoyed himself after seeing Don Goodman getting the winner and also seeing Hans Sagers saving the penalty was so overjoyed in what happened that day Wolves Ian I had a lift up and was sweating on getting back in time because uh, one of my dogs was running at Monmore on the night I'd backed us to win and Goodman to score pocketed over a grand as a result what a day I didn't remember getting the commission through the post <laughs> I mean that day Dramatic. out for the fans at Ellen Road for you I say it might explain why Leeds fans don't like you very much well, it wasn't just that goal. I actually scored for Bradford City, for West Bromwich Albion, for Sunderland, and ultimately for for Wolves. Every time I played against Leeds, I scored. It was their it was their punishment for them, you see. So um, we've all got clubs where you step on a pitch and you really fancy that you're going to score. Your favourite clubs scored more goals against one particular club than any other club, and Leeds were one of my two or three uh, clubs. So. Um, yeah, look, it, it it was such a dramatic day. I mean, they were a top Premier League team. George Graham, they were top six Premier League back in 1998. George Graham, they, Harry Kuehl, Floyd, Jimmy Floyd Hasselman, they were laden with internationals. It was on their home patch. We were halfway up the championship and we weren't given a chance. And that was what the FA Cup was all about. Even still in 1998, it's less like that, unfortunately, now. But I grew up... You know, getting up at nine o'clock and watching the whole day, the build-up, the teams. I mean, the first time they took a camera on the team bus, it was like, 
whoa, you know, and camera into the, the pre-match meal and, and, and so on and so forth. So it was all, the, the FA Cup is what I'm saying, is was just enormous. So to go back to my, the club that I loved um, in the quarterfinal, and we acquitted ourselves really, really well. They didn't cause us too many problems. And then we we nicked a goal and, and, and the drama, as you've just rightly pointed out, didn't finish there because young Robbie King, what he was doing back there, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. legged up Jimmy Floyd. And then there was the headbutt, if you recall, between Curly and Jimmy Floyd. <laughs> I think that was after the miss, but um, after Hans had, had saved it. And then for all the, the, the joy and everything, there was actually a little bit of uh, horror afterwards for, for some of the Wolves fans. Lots yeah. of coaches got yeah. bricked and things like that. Um but in purely footballing terms, it was a it was a special day, and it was my obviously most most special day in a wolf shirt. You said there about the FA Cup, obviously quarter final, semi final, quarter final of the League Cup. Was the team better suited for the cup, or was that a distraction for the league form? I don't think so. Again, I'll harp back. You know, you're talking twenty years ago that the cups meant more. Massive, yeah. They meant more than what they mean now. And when we watched quarterfinals of of the FA Cup last night and you see you know I don't think Jamie Vardy started for Leicester no. why why is Jamie Vardy not starting for Leicester they're not going to win the Premier League they're probably not going to get in a European place they're not going to get relegated why is Jamie Vardy not starting in the quarterfinal of the of the League Cup it, it, you know so <clears throat> and Manchester City's team reflected their priorities and you kind of understand that but it's just football has changed and the big clubs like Manchester City have literally two brilliant teams, don't they? So they can change. But why aren't Leicester having a go, you know? Yeah. But you, your team came so close to that special moment, that big final appearance and that semi-final. And I think the reason why so many fans feel so deflated over the team selection and everything around it is that it was a real opportunity. It was a real opportunity. Yeah, and I and again, I think that several of the players that had been brought in literally a few weeks before were were in the team, and 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 maybe the the, the supporters hadn't identified with those players or didn't have that unity and bond with those players that than the they had with the ones that had been there on the journey. So it, it was a difficult one. Um, like I said, you, you pick a team to win a game to do a job. And clearly, Mark McGee felt, for whatever reason, um, that the team he put out would be the one that would be best equipped to maybe nullify Arsenal, hit them on the counter, try and nick a goal and nick a 1-0. Of course, it it just didn't work out that way. Um, We're going to do our rundown feature on the podcast extra, uh, which you can download in all the usual places, just to finish off on our Facebook and YouTube show. Um, The young Robbie Keane had come through that year and you end up leaving in the summer after that. How much of it was down to the fact that suddenly there is this kid who is incredibly talented? I'll be controversial if you like. Uh, it was down to the fact that I didn't get on with Mark McGee. I scored something like... I scored a load of goals in those last sort of, I don't know, eight, ten games. Um, I had all the Molyneux crowd singing, sign him up, sign him up. It was well protracted that my contract was up, mm. you know. Um, I was still offering goals to the team and was of value. So it was nothing to do with Robbie Keane. And and to this day, Mark McGee asked me to notify him if somebody came in. I duly did. I I did that when the Japanese offer came in. Mark said he'd get back to me. 
and he never did. Do you not feel that because he had Robbie Keane? Now, that might be a reason. That might be a reason. Again, go back to the right way and wrong way of doing things, you know. If you don't want a player or whatever, just, just say, Sorry. thanks for your time and all that. We're, we're going to move move yeah. on or whatever. But to phone, to phone me up and say, keep me posted, keep me posted if there's any interest and we'll see what we can do, blah, 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 blah. And then not get back. Uh, that's that was a disappointing thing again yeah. do you know what it's water under the bridge uh mark mcgee and i again to reiterate are absolutely <laughs> fine we bump into each other quite a bit so uh, and we've got a decent relationship now so water under the bridge but at the time obviously it was it was one of those things and off i went to to japan where i, I was i was big in japan i bet you are <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk about that maybe <laughs> on our podcast extra coming very shortly. Thank you very much for watching. Cheers. The Old Gold Club, powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. For the best price locally, head to wolverhamptonbuildingsupplies.co.uk. So that was the show. On with the podcast. We won't keep you too long because I know you've got a tea time set up and Don takes his golf very, very seriously. Um, so seriously, in fact, that on Matt Murray's testimonial golf day, um, I was driving around in a buggy <laughs> taking photos of all the players who were playing in it. And Don, Don knows what I'm going to say. So Don is set up. And as he swings back for a tee shot, obviously I've got the camera, snap, 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 snap. Don shanks it off the fairway, turns around as a massive go at me, calls me a jinx. <laughs> And tells me not to follow him for the, not to see him for the rest of the day. <laughs> so I'm driving around in the buggy, and every time that like the buggy is kind of getting close to where Don is, he just gives me this massive scowl, like "Get away from me!" I think I was furious. Un- I think I was under par till that point. <laughs> anyway, um, we do this feature called the Rundown. Uh, fairly quick fire. The, who was the best player that you played with at Wolves? Quick fire. That is, I need time to answer that. Really, <clears throat> there were different players here on their merits that I could name. Uh, obviously, Bully. Uh, obviously, Robbie Keane for what he went on to achieve. Um, I, I, I still, when I think about this fella, this name, I'm going to tell you, I still marvel at what an incredible footballer he was. And it's Sid Cowens. Yeah, he Bobby was. Cowns. Unbelievable to play with as a striker, right foot, left foot. You know, I remember asking him once, I said, What footed are you actually? And he went, Well, I started out as a right foot. <laughs> he said, But I worked that hard on my left foot that actually I'd probably trust that more than my right foot now, which is quite remarkable. So I would have loved to have played with, with him in his prime. Um, you know, obviously, Bully had sore knees by the time I got here. Kino was just starting. Um, but between the three of them, they were, they were great to play with. It's good players. Uh, was Trina at the club? Oh, well, Bully weren't great, I'll tell you, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely up there, yeah. yeah. Who was the biggest moaner? You know, when you talk about looking in the mirror a little bit. <laughs> I did like a bit of a whinge and a bit of a moan, so... You put yourself in there? Yeah, that's all honesty. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you, who was your best friend at Wolves? I know you came in with DeWolf as well, didn't you? I came in with John DeWolf. Um... That's a hard one, really. Um, we all had a group of socials like your, Dave, your David Kellys and your Andy Thompsons. And Bully wasn't allowed out in those days, but different wife, 
different wife, let's be clear. Um, <laughs> swiftly, swiftly on, but... I don't know if we'll be able we to leave that in. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Je- Jeff Thomas, we, 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 we had a real good good group of lads and, uh, you know, we, we all got on well and we all had a, a, a nice midweek social at the right time. Yep. <laughs> and after a game, we'd have a beer, obviously. Who had the best and who had the worst dress sense? Some of the foreign lads who used to come in. I don't think Mixu was great. Mixu better line then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And then there was a friend, was it a French lad called Serge? He used to come in in some strange gear. <laughs> you know? Um, stylish. Do you know the worst, actually? The worst was Steve Froggett. It's just come to me. Yeah, yeah. A few times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Serge Romano. Serge Romano. He, he had a few. He only played he, a couple of games. That's right. He? He, he had some gear though. Um, no, but Froggy was. Froggy took it. Froggy could make an Armani suit look terrible. <laughs> that's exactly what Tony Daly said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Froggy. Froggy was the one. Uh, best dress. Stylish. Jeff Thomas was a stylish lad. Actually, he ended up ended up owning a couple of uh, clothes shops as well. So, uh, Jeff's a, a stylish lad. Who was the funniest player that you played with? Uh, again I could look in the mirror here really but I'm not going to do that no Um, Ned Kelly Ned Kelly Ned Kelly was 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 a very funny man Um, best manager you worked for I think we know it's going to end up being Graham Taylor rather than Mark McGee so with respect yeah yeah we'll we'll leave that one there what was the best goal that you scored for Wolves uh, do you know what I have got a shocking memory and it's only really really meaningful ones the best goal that I was involved in was probably the um, the goal out here for Wolves against Leicester in the FA Cup everybody talks there are three things people talk to me about the penalty kick that beat Sheffield Wednesday yes. when we were 3-0 down we came from 3-0 down and, and won a penalty shootout I'm not sure that's ever been done or yeah. you know ever likely to be obviously the Ellen Road goal which obviously was very very special um, and this goal out here so I'm going to nominate that despite the fact that I didn't score it but from a Leicester corner down in the far corner there we broke and David Kelly fed the ball out to me I fed it back in and he fed it back out and we went the length of the pitch and I crossed it and he scored a dive in header I think it was on goal of the month on match of the day so yeah. um, let's give Ned even more plaudits <laughs> he'll love that mm. as well yeah um, what was the best game you were involved in? Because there was to say there was some good cup runs in that time. Do you know? <laughs> I think we, we beat Birmingham City out here three two, and they, I think they went two one up with about a minute to go, and Kevin Francis kicked the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. referee awarded most ridiculous penalty. penalty you'll ever the see. The most ridiculous penalty you'll ever see. The referee. I was nearly in tears. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But then we scored two after that and won three two. So in terms of drama and. Uh, with it being a, a sort of a, a bit of a derby as well, then let's let's go there. Yeah. Uh, what was your proudest moment for Wolves? Uh, it's not a moment. It's it's a it's a testament to the the fans. So I was proud to to play for this great football club, but I was even prouder that I I was able to have the fans on side after my associations with West Bromwich Albion. And I'll, and I'll be eternally grateful to the supporters of, yeah. of Wolves because I came from the old enemy 
albeit via Sunderland. And it would have been easy for them not to get... I didn't score a goal in the first seven games, but there was not a murmur. Um, and they took me into their hearts. And that makes me the proudest. I just want to finish by reading you a couple more messages about that Leeds day out, because there were so many from the fans. You really did give a lot of people special memories. Uh, Smithy Evie said, I took my mate's 10-year-old lad to his first away game, Ellen Road. We're both on match of the day at the end, standing on our seats having a disco. <laughs> uh, David Evans said, overjoyed when we beat Leeds. My uncle's a Leeds fan, and as a kid, I always looked up to Leeds as this big Premier League side. I remember calling him when we wanted to celebrate, perhaps not realising he was trying to be as polite as he could to me <laughs> over the phone. Brilliant. It's a, a remarkable day. A yeah, it was. Game. I mean, I, I remember a, a chap who owned a bike shop the very next morning knocked on my door with a brand new mountain bike. And I, I said, I can't, I can't take that. And he insisted that I took this mountain bike. I still have the mountain bike. He said, this is on behalf of the whole of Wolverhampton. You made us all smile yesterday. This was the Sunday morning after the after the game. So uh, I know it's special and I know by the simply the, the amount of people that come up to me and talk about it still 20 years, 20 years. That's later. lovely, but it's a really weird gift. Well, he owned a bike shop. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish he, I wish he owned an Aston Martin shop, but we've got to be grateful, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, and I, no, it was very, very generous. And um, it was the main bike shop in Wolverhampton. And I do forget the name. I'd love to give him a plug, but, He's probably not there anymore, perhaps. But uh, yeah, so I, 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 it was a lovely, lovely gesture and it did get used. Thanks for listening to The Old Gold Club, powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts.